Groundhog's Day. Bill Connors spends just over 12,000 days trapped in Punxsutawney. During this time-looping curse, Phil robs banks, saves lives, indulges in most forms of human hedonism, gets killed, kills himself, and masters an impressive set of skills like ice sculpture and piano. The unrealism isn't that an immortal man could master anything he wanted. The unrealism is that Phil could master something like piano without a social network helping him or a network whose brains don't reset every 24 hours. The woman giving Phil his piano lesson acts shocked when she sees him playing like a pro because she doesn't remember the hundreds of lessons he already took with her. By the end of the film, that's basically every scene, people acting shocked as Phil demonstrates a mastery of skills he's never revealed before. But maybe we as the audience should be shocked because achieving mastering anything without qualified feedback is about as unbelievable as a magic time-looping curse. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment, all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, The Extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer lay of no-duh on the internet. So today, we're ditching our myths a little bit, because our whole last episode was basically the myths for this. If you haven't listened to part one, part one covers Coursera, Skillshare, Masterclass, Sophia. It, It covers all of the online courses that we are being sold as ways to level up our professionalism and our resumes when in fact most of them don't look that good on a resume and most of them don't actually offer college courses so todd when i approached you with that episode you started telling me about the value of um going and showing up and doing and joining clubs and after you started preaching that I looked up what colleges and what jobs actually appreciate, what they what they actually value. And you're right. It's debate club. It's, you know, uh, involvement. It is, you know, going and like not just getting a certificate, but showing that you can get those soft skills. So I'm going to take these myths one at a time. Can people sort of learn on their own or can they just sit back in class and absorb mastery? What's your take on that? This is one of those situations where I have taken more online courses and learned more on my own than I have attended class. And I have regrets about that. Um, I've talked on this podcast about going to writers groups and not fully getting the benefit out of those. In fact, until I went to a Toastmasters club with you, um, I don't think I was getting the full benefit out of any clubs or classes I joined, which was a lot. I'll give a real simple example of it, and this this is going to explain how I feel about it. Um, I could take yoga at home. I could go online, go on YouTube, get an online program with probably one of the greatest, most well-known yoga teachers, accomplished 
one in the world. I do better in a class setting with that peer support. Okay. And I found that to be true with Toastmasters. I've, I've read lots of lots of books about how to public speak. I've read books about storytelling. My skills got honed and got a lot better with my speeches when I was in Toastmasters giving speech live in front of live people with some support and then some negativity as well. When you came to our club, um, you immediately plugged into the network around you. Uh, was that intentional? Like, did you think that out? Like, I'm going to talk to this person, this person, and this person. I need to, you know, get their contact info. Like, did you did you make yourself out to be... Like, it, they have, like, the standard U.S. power plug and then the European power plug. Did you change your plug shape to plug into our social network? I did, but it's because I've been a parts of a lot of after work and after school activities. And really the joy in it and is the people that you meet, the friendships, the fellowship. I think that's the strength in it. Okay. You said you've been in debate club before? I did. I was in debate. I talked to a college um, acceptance advisor. I don't think that's their actual title, but they, they reviewed the um, the applicants and they said that debate, like strong debate clubs from good schools, was one of the absolute highest like things that they would look at. They, they thought that was worth so much. Well, that's funny because that is where I did it was in high school. And thinking back, I was the only non-academic person in that class. <laughs> okay. I was the gym jock kid in there with a lot of the valedictorian or close to valedictorian kids. All the 3.5 and ups. All the honor, all the honor students were in there with me. And I still remember my final debate was about, this is in 1992, it was about legalizing marijuana. Okay. <laughs> so they were talking about that for a long time. Which side did you take? I took legalizing it, but okay. you didn't have a choice. So, oh, you were assigned yeah. that? Yeah, you're assigned what you do. Do you have any regrets about not plugging into certain networks? Absolutely. Uh, my biggest one being about seven years ago to become a better public speaker, I took some acting class at University of Washington. And the second I got there, the very first minute of the very first class, I thought, shit, I should have been involved in drama acting my whole life, performance arts as opposed to sports. It was just a good value match for me. It's fun and exciting to me it's interesting and it's extremely i think it's more competitive than sports and i think if i would have got into that as a as a child or even as a young man um my life would have been enriched by it okay i've been watching station 11 so i know that dramatic actors are at least more badass than most sports figures um so what okay if you had plugged into drama early instead of sports how would how would your life look different? And why do you think that would be more valuable than like an online class about drama? Um, because I'd have those network of people. Um, some of the people I still know in the arts community are high achiever people. And they live and they visit each other in LA and New York. And they have some real exciting um, lives. They have adventurous lives as opposed to just ham and egg, pay the bill lives. Okay. Um, 
that's you hit on kind of the soul of what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, the reason why this is such a free form conversation is because it is so hard to put a number on the value of plugging into a social group, learning at the same pace they do and networking with them afterward. But the two things that I seem to keep running into is if you have been in a social group, you see who the high achievers are over time. You, that can be hidden by somebody who talks big or is very confident. The loud person at debate club will sometimes seem like the one who's going to achieve. But later on, you want to be able to call up the guy who actually did, you know, uh, in my case, they actually wrote a book and published. Or in drama, they actually starred in a play and, you know, went on. So, one, it gives you the social network to call to somebody who has acquired resources. Not necessarily money, but they might have books or mentors or connections that they can hand to you, gladly hand to you because you were in their class. And this is the biggest pitfall and mistake I see a lot of people do when they get in anything, um, self-improvement after work activity. They kind of think, and, and I'll use the gym as a, as a prime example, as it's not something you just show up to. It's not just something you try. It becomes who you are. You only are going to get out of it what you put into it. I know that's cliche and it sounds, yeah, 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 I know that. But you don't learn anything just showing up at something. You have to get plugged in. And get plugged in is, Joe, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how uncomfortable you were you at your first Toastmasters meeting. I found out that um, my neck, the back of my neck will spasm and seize up during a public speech. <laughs> I discovered that about myself at my first speech. You're just a mess. You're having seizures and everything. <laughs> I was walking back and forth behind the table like I was trying to escape. And my mentor, that's not me saying that. My mentor told me that afterward. He's like, you look like a caged tiger and you were looking for a way out. <laughs> Tell our audience why you joined Toastmasters. Okay. Um, I joined a group uh, called Willamette Writers first. They were the biggest writers guild in our city. And I failed to plug into that network. Even after I won an award through them, I, I got a national award. And if I had been plugged into that network and actually doing the things Todd is talking about, you know, getting the value out of that, um, I would have been published time and time over if I had approached other people in that group to work with them. I, at one point was going to share some of a story I had written, which ended up being a contest-winning entry. And when I shared it with them, I did such a poor job of describing what I was sharing. I, I was talking about, well, here's what I'm trying to achieve. It's a little bit of an oddball story. It has a weird narrative. Try to look past that. And I sounded so unconfident. My writer's group told me, you don't sound like you're ready. We're going to hang off on this. And we're going to work on somebody else's story this week. You can have a chance next time. That sounds like heartbreaking, devastating news. It was, it crushed me. And that is the same story or piece of it that got a winning entry later. So I know that the story was good. I was not. It is hard as an artist to be like, oh, my craft is up to snuff. I, as a person, am not. So I went to Toastmasters and started honing my public speaking so I could pitch. And I found out it's not, there's, there's the old phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
that needs to be rewritten to be accurate. It should be, it's not what you know, it's how highly motivated you are to work with others. I like that. The reason I bring this up and have Joe bring up that story is um, this is not comfortable for Joe. He does not a, let me go out socially and hang out with people I don't know. <laughs> but he's become one. And now from doing things like the Lamoretics Clubs, Toastmasters, he has a huge <laughs> social network. He's very popular. And uh, he can be the center of attention at a party sometimes. If I'm telling a good story. Um there's something you said earlier, which is um, the thing you do becomes a part of you. It's not just if if I take an online masterclass, I think I'm going to add an arrow to my quiver. But if you go out and take that class and you interact with those people, you change your plug shape to plug into that social network. You don't add an arrow to your quiver. You become an archer like you. You change garb. You you put on. You know, your muscles change to pull that bow. Like whatever you're doing, you become the thing, or at least in part. And I think there's a couple of really um, pitfalls, procrastination that can happen. And a lot of it, the big one is with classes and doing things after work is, what's the big one? I don't have time. Yeah. The second one, which I think is even worse, is if you just are more into spending money on something, I'm going to buy something, but I'm not going to do anything. Believe it or not, people see that as they've already gotten the reward and you have not even gotten started yet. It's a false reward. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't change who you are. It just makes you spending money on things. It's, it's a difference between somebody who's tried something. And if you talk to the people who have tried something, if you ask them more than one question, they're lost. But if you put your time and if you've done your reps, it's something that you can actually even educate other people's on, at least your story, your journey. Right. There's um, uh, in Grit by Angela Duckworth, they, they kind of touch on this. And there's a couple of their books about goal setting that, that talk about this, where um, the idea of imagine yourself at the finish line. Imagine yourself crossing, you know, breaking the ribbon at the finish line and imagine achieving that goal. Uh, that actually doesn't help. Um, imagining the steps to your goal is what helps. Um, neuroscience has proven that if you imagine that you've already accomplished something, your brain will trick itself into thinking you've gotten that accomplishment. You don't need to go to class. When in reality, if you go to class, you will learn how much you need to change your shape in person. And getting that and getting that attention from people will give you that dopamine like you've already achieved it. Yeah. A lot of times when we go and tackle a goal, and this podcast is a prime example, we can do all the research online. We can do all this. You really don't know the steps that you need to do until, you <laughs> yeah. until you're already in the pool drowning. It kind of reminds me of somebody who, you know, wants to take up uh, crafting. Like they, they want to become a woodworker. Or they want to become a scrapbooker and they go and buy all of the tools and they take, they buy the classes, they buy everything. They don't actually make a scrapbook. They don't actually make a birdhouse, but they have the tools. So their brain tricks them into thinking they've accomplished it. Almost all of these quote unquote classes, extracurriculars, whether it's drama, public speaking, uh, the gym, whatever is going to help you improve that goes right out the window if you have filled your tool belt but haven't put a hammer into anything. Um, 
I've, I've seen that. Haven't you seen that? Like, I've seen that at Toastmasters and Writers where somebody will sit in the back of class, they've paid their dues. I mean, like, they've literally paid the money, but they don't actually bring anything to the table. They don't try to plug in, they don't try to participate. And that's what I struggle with. And I've been one of those people for many years in different classes. Part of it's insecurity. Sometimes it can be a little bit of um, arrogance, too. Yeah. Like, I don't need this or I'm above this. <laughs> I swear, right? Oh, no, I, I, I'm I laughing because I, I pose as that last one. Yeah. I, I pose as I'm better than this and I try to be arrogant. But what it really is, is it's my introvert insecurity is I want to look like I am better than this class I'm sitting in the back at. But what really is happening is I don't want to be called on. I don't want to come present. And I didn't prepare enough. I didn't sink in the extra time to absorb what I needed to. When you go to things after work as adults, we're tired. We don't have a lot of time. The time we have is valuable. But if you can go there with a open head, you know, open heart, eager to learn, childlike interest, People are going to be attracted to you. And then what you talked about, um, when you go to meetings, whatever your activity is, and you show that you want to help, whatever it is, and you start you start slow, you start low, people are going to help you. They're going to put arm around you. You're going to find mentors fast, and you're going to improve fast with the right mentors who know that you're there to learn. That you, When, you, when someone has a similar passion to, to you, it's impossible, a similar value. It's impossible for you not to be their friend. Yeah. Especially what you're talking about, showing up ready to learn. Even if they are not necessarily going to mentor you, they will start giving you skills just by having you, you know, help with whatever you can. So showing up with that attitude is really important. You called it, um, we had a we had a conference call basically about the podcast. You called it a spark that, you know, going to something, learning that you can plug in. Once you, once you fit that plug and you plug into the social network of whatever class or club you've joined, there is a spark. There is sort of a, a realization that you are, you've changed or you've started changing to fit that. And um, it feels great. Yeah. When you learn a new skill and you add to your old tool belt, don't you feel more powerful, Joe? I do. Absolutely. More interesting, right? I, I may be fooling myself with this. I think that's what jobs and academic advisors are actually looking for. I think the reason why they don't respect master classes and skill shares, the reason those don't get as much credit is because if I show up and I've become a different person to learn a skill, I think I'm going to blow away the people who have sat through an hour course on the internet. They're, those people will have learned some things, but they will not have plugged in. They will not have integrated those skills and become uh, a different person because of it. I want to talk about the value of preparing yourself, too. Um, before you came to Toastmasters, did you prepare at all? Did you, like pick up any books or learn anything first? I did. You know, I've got some TED Talks books on storytelling. Um, I read the very corny Speak and Grow Rich. Okay. <laughs> Which is the Bible of public speaking. I read um, uh, Toastmasters. Going before before doing public speaking, um, I read Dale Carnegie. Like, like that's when I got into that. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Exactly. The, one of the best books ever. Yes. 
the best self-help books that and the power of positive thinking are two of my absolute favorites yeah so uh, i think what we're trying to say hopefully in this podcast is there is a place for the hour-long internet lectures and there is a place for actual clubs and attendance and plugging yourself in but we reverse that order by accident by by being introverts or, or our instinct I think what we assume is the classes we take online will give us mastery. The extracurriculars are just that. They are extra. What we should think of it as the classes and books will prime us. They will give us the knowledge we need to have. And then we need to show up, apply, you know, become a plug that will fit, get that spark, get that network going, and then participate. Answer me this, Joe. How do you, how do you sample what do you sample to know what your thing is, what your it is? Oh, online classes. I know the last two episodes have seemed like I have just been like a giant downer about online classes. But honestly, I listen to podcasts and I listen to lectures. And when a subject holds my interest and won't let me go, I know that I need to go try it. Part of it is need. Like like part of it is... I read Dale Carnegie and realized how far behind I was, and I took those skills to Toastmasters to hone them. Or like writing, I read everything in the library about how to write a story because I was so bad at it. And then I started going to a club because I'm like, well, here's all this knowledge, but really I need to see how people are applying it. How do you, you know, here's all this raw metal. How do I build a key out of it to fit a lock? So. It's interesting. Um. I found a um, Harvard Business Review article that talks about um, how to master a new skill because that's ultimately we're trying what we're trying to do. We, we don't want to come to a job and be like, I've read about the software you guys use. I've never used it or mastered it, but I'm sure you guys are cool with me just taking a class, right? Um, so I looked up this HBR article. We will link to it. Um, but you said, you know, how do I select a skill? In this, they say that, you know, you should select a skill that is valued by organizers and managers. Um, so that's step one. <laughs> um, I will pick skills oftentimes by my own weaknesses and what I think I need to shore up. I mean, broaden your horizons with the internet and with lectures, but when you actually get down to what you're going to hone, Pick things that organizers, managers, and schools will find valuable. And I think there's a meetup groups for absolutely everything. A- any kind of extracurricular activity, those are great because they're low cost and you can get a, a big uh, a big different variety of people who have been in it for what different amounts of time, not just everyone who's, you know, in algebra one oh one, but and it's all lines from professor to new student. Right. Now that's I really don't want people to come away from this thinking that we are saying you should specialize in all things. Um, be diverse, read a lot, watch a lot, you know, get into lectures. Um, but when it comes to honing a skill, we're just saying that pick something that has value. You ever seen that movie Butter? No. <laughs> it's about champion butter carvers, and it's a fictional account, but it's a real thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, if your thing is you, you love carving butter into, you know, Big Ben or like, you know, wonders of the world, do that. That's fine. Learn your skills. But like, 
we're saying that for most of us who are trying to improve because we want valuable skills, you know, we want to make more money and have more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've identified that skill, HBR says divide it up into smaller manageable tasks. Like what Todd and I are talking about. Um, do a speech. Just do the first one. To master anything new, keep it small and keep it simple in the beginning. Over What I found is when you just overdo it and you try to, because what do all the self-help gurus say? You have to be in. You have to go all in, right? Isn't that the big thing? Yeah. But that's not reality. And what happens is you just, you, it, you, do, you overload yourself so much that it becomes exhausting and you just can't continue. Small, manageable bites are better than trying to devour the whole meal. Todd and I, on different episodes, have espoused process thinking and process learning. Chunk it up. Just analyze the next 30 minutes or hour. Just give yourself a task that is the, you know, the first building block or first step of whatever you're doing, and then go from there. Reflect on what you've learned and what you still want to accomplish. I think you can do that at almost any time. Like the, these are the principles to remember. And it's like reflecting on what you've learned is what you should do after a class. You, you take a break, you eat a lunch and you think about what you just sat through. Um, and if you're doing it in person, I mean, how many times have you walked away from a yoga class and thought about all of the stuff you had done? Like, like, I, I assume that's what you do, especially when you leave a club or an in-person class is you have a lot of reflection over, you know, who said what, you know, what did I miss? Well, I misspoke. I, I screwed up somewhere. I usually, I focus on the negative. Unfortunately, I go to how did I embarrass myself with stuff I didn't know? Well, I think the big one too, um, I was a step parent for many years and had two, two kids, two younger kids who were involved in all kinds of different activities. Make sure you really account for, um, a lot of people do this with spending, they'll write down every cent they spend. So write down how you spend every minute of every day. And you might find out that you have more time than you realize you do. I can quickly jump into the trap of talking myself out of a class that's good for me, good for my career, good for my well-being based on the expense and the time. That's an easy way to say I don't have time, I don't have money for it you're not going to have more time and more money unless you start doing more things after work. Yeah. The um, writer, Jason Pargin, he gave an exercise, which is get two pieces of paper on one piece of paper, write down the things you want to be and what you want to accomplish on the other sheet of paper. Really simple. Just write what you did today. Just minute by minute. What did you actually do? If those two sheets don't match, then one of those is a list of dream goals that are hypotheticals and not actual goals. Now, the funny part is Harvard Business Review has a don't do it list when it comes to doing new skills and activities. And the first thing on it, it, it screams of YouTube videos, online courses, masterclass. <laughs> it says, don't try to learn in a vacuum. Ask other people for guidance and feedback. So that flies right in the face of, you know, our, our last episode was all about basically learning in a vacuum, you know, which, which one of these vacuum learning platforms is going to help you with your resume or your job. Um, so yeah, it, it specifically, they say, don't do that. Or if you do it, 
confirm what you've learned on your own with people that you are actually doing things with the you know whatever club you're attending take that skill with you and that's good for giving advice too because people who are not doers are going to tell you it's a waste of time the big one they're going to say to you and it's going to hurt your feelings is well that's a waste of money and time yeah when they don't see the value in it so when you're asking for their opinion you already know it's going to be negative that's not the kind of people that you're trying to fly with. That's not the kind of people that you should value what they say, even if these a lot of these people are our family members. <laughs> I run into a lot of people who are extroverts who tell me that they're already good at communicating when they've never tried it before because they're an extrovert because because they like talking at a party because <laughs> Just they like you talk a lot expressing doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you should <laughs> exactly it doesn't mean you're good at it or that you you know have a structure to it i don't have that problem <laughs> uh, i know the type i used to be one of those um one that actually i did not foresee this one coming uh they say don't rely solely on your boss for advice that's funny to me because like if you're trying to, you know, double check that a skill you're about to learn is going to apply to your job, of course, your boss is going to be like, yeah, learn that new program we're using, you know, learn, learn the software we're about to integrate into the company. Um, yeah, so, but I think a lot of time that the, the business, the corporate world we're on now, bosses are just so ultra critical. They already think you can't do your own fucking job to begin with, so they don't want you trying to do more. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They're so critical of these other stuff that they think is important. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I believe that. Like, Let, Let's see what your next boss with your higher paid job thinks. <laughs> not this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, how do you... Your boss is going to be... They're not going to be incentivized to tell you what skills will break you out of the mold to go on to the better paying job? They're going to be like, what cement can I pour into your, your shoes to keep you here? Exactly. And, and, and let's face it, the way things are going with careers, we're going to have a, few jo- a new job, every, a new career every couple of years anyways. Yep. I think it's the, was it 12 or 14 is the average of jobs somebody will hold over their life now? Um. The final piece of advice, and please go check out this article. Um, we we are only reading the bullet points. They have whole sections that are just dynamite advice. Um, they say, assume it's not going to happen overnight. Like, don't go into it thinking you'll master it in two meetings. It takes at least six months to develop a new skill. And of course, that sounds like a no duh, but we've all done that. I know I have. I think I just do this and it's going to be like a magic potion and I'm going to be a better person. Right. So one final note I want to leave us with about why in-person clubs, getting that spark, getting that connection actually works better than um, an online course or, or lecture or vacuum learning. Have you heard of the term interleaving in um, education? Interleaving, no. It's new to me, so um, I won't have the you know best information on this. We're going to have a link to an article uh, about it. The gist of interleaving is that it's more efficient than blocking. Blocking is what we do to learn in school, especially traditional schools. Blocking is, um, here's a chunk of text, here's a bunch of facts about it. You know, in, in you know, 1845, this happened. You know, this president, you know, died from assassination on this date. It's it's taking all these chunks, these blocks, 
and trying to build an education out of them. What interleaving is, it espouses the idea that plan to learn over time because that's how you learn best. Your your memory is like an etch-a-sketch. You have to retrace things that you learn over and over again to cement them. And everything behind that line that you keep retracing, especially when you sleep, it fades backward. It, it etch-a-sketches away. So interleaving takes the most fundamental, important parts of what you're trying to learn and repeats them and randomizes them over the course of months. So if I am trying to learn Spanish, instead of learning, you know, here is all of the uh, conjugations. Here is all of this, you know, all these words for this particular thing. Here is all of the, all of the prepositions. Um, what interleaving suggests is that you should learn the thousand most commonly used words, repeat them, randomize them, and what we're talking about with extracurriculars, uh, take them out. Like, like language is a great example of what we've been talking about today, where you need to submerse yourself in the culture once you have a handle on the basics. So space out the basics over several months, repeat them, randomize them, and then um, put yourself in the culture where you're going to be using them. Let me comment on this. Please. Um, part of the thing you said right away, and this is something that internally we should ha- we can get a shut off valve when we hear it's going to take a while. We think, well, I don't want it. I want to get. I want it right now, or it's not worth doing. What's what people don't tell you about all that when they tell you how long it takes is that you get the the pleasure right away from learning. And the beginning of something that you're not very skilled in is when the growth is the greatest. You're going to get the most pleasure right away. That's the reason to sign up. And one of the problems I have with Toastmasters, and I'll preach anyone who's been in the meetings that I've ran or speeches that I've given, I've talked about this, is a lot of these people come into Toastmasters and they learn these amazing communication skills. They go from painfully shy to become very polished public speakers. They become world-class listeners. The problem is they leave all that skill at Toastmasters. Yes. <laughs> they don't take it to their family, to their friends, to their workplace. So when you learn these things and practice them in a safe space, whatever club it is or whatever extracurricular activity it is, take it out of there. Take it and use it in your life. <laughs> That's why we do this. Yes. We do this to make ourselves better people overall. Whatever you do, it changes the structure of your brain. If you are learning to public speak, there are writers who, in the first couple years of learning, when they, that 80%, that initial 80% of growth you talk about, where it's coming easy and your gains are evident and you can actually see what you're learning come out of you, that's when you are most likely to quit because you're like, ah, I got it. I am now good at this. But it's the last 20% that rewires your brain to not just be good at it, but to be good at it in process and on the fly. People who are, you know, took a couple writing classes and got the gist of it, they can write you a paper and they'll do it pretty well. Writers who have pushed past the last 20%, they can stand up at the front of a table and tell a story on the fly and it will be structured with a, you know, a beginning, middle, and end. It'll be structured like a heroic journey. It will actually have like all the compelling parts that a story should have because they've trained their brain to do it. Whatever you're doing, you know, archery, debate. Oh my God, people who master debate and then take that skill out into the world. I mean, like, it's not just that they feel like they're arguing with you. 
they will sit there and make a compelling point with a exclamation mark at the end and with amazing stats like their brain is trained to do it even if they don't feel like they are coming down on you like an avalanche even if they're just being very friendly their friendliness will feel like they have made a great point that you want to remember wouldn't it be great to have that superpower (laughs) that's really what we're talking about is you want to learn something academically take a master class you want to have a superpower that you can bring out into the world go take a club and plug yourself in You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.